1: What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, and listen to what you think about the episode. If there's any particular guests or topics you'd like to have covered, we're always checking your comments on there and love to be able to get your suggestions on the future episodes. And that's exactly where today's Came from. We had chatted with an emissions lawyer uh, earlier this year, I think it was in January, and one of the things he had mentioned was some potential changes that the EPA was going to be doing as far as what they. Um, are enforcing what they look towards, where all their resources are dedicated. So today we're going to be chatting with Stuart Caples, and he's going to be answering the question of what has changed um, with the EPA's focus, and also a major, um, a major thing that happened recently, which was the EPA and eBay and a $2 billion fine. So we're going to be chatting with him about both of those, some of the fallout that's happened, and then asking some of the questions that you guys have posed to us. So I definitely look forward to chatting with him today. Before we get to it though, I want to remind you, our friends over at Kershaw Knives have a 20% off site-wide code for you. If you use code diesel2023 at kershaw.kaiusa.com, it's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. So if you need a knife for hunting, fishing, EDC, something around the job site, they've definitely got you covered with a bunch of choices. They've had a whole bunch of releases in 2023. And definitely make sure, head on over, check them out if you're in the market. All right, let's get to today's podcast with Stuart Cables and talking about the EPA's focus and also the case with eBay. Stuart, welcome back to the Diesel Podcast. I always enjoy our chats. There's so much incredible information and questions you're able to answer for our audience. And I know that we have a lot to chat about today. So I won't uh, I won't delay or anything like that. We can just kind of get right into it. But thank you for your time today.
0: Yeah, sounds good. I'm always happy to be here, Patrick. Um, I love doing the podcast. It's always a lot of fun and sort of educating your listeners about what's going on in the, in the diesel world and the, in in the sort of uh, EPA lawyer world.
1: Well, one of the big topics you covered with us earlier in the year was about the compliance initiatives and how the EPA will update them. I'm not sure if it's every three or four years, but you had talked about that being a major thing for us to pay attention to this year. And I know that I think that came out this summer or maybe towards the end of the summer, um, I wanted to ask you what happened with it? What does it change, if anything, or what is the focus of the EPA for the next, I think, three years?
0: Yeah, definitely. So the aftermarket defeat and tampering devices have been removed from the EPA's compliance initiatives. And that was effective in June of 23. So yes, it was over the summer. The um, sort of uh, underlying information related to that is that the EPA is no longer making it a priority to enforce on companies that have uh, allegedly uh, defeated emissions or tampered with emissions, okay? But what's happening in reality is that because so many people have gone compliant and because so few people are still violating, the EPA is mostly... Uh, just not doing civil enforcements as much anymore. And the way that they're looking at it is if there's companies out there or individuals out there who are still installing aftermarket defeat devices, selling them, manufacturing them, importing them from Canada or wherever, they're primarily going after the people um, under a criminal liability theory. So they're charging them with felonies, conspiracy uh felony to uh excuse me conspiracy to violate the clean air act and then felony tampering or aftermarket defeat charges so um i would not i would say for sure that things have not slowed down from a enforcement perspective they've changed to go primarily from a civil side to a criminal side i've been getting a lot of criminal referrals recently from people i've been talking to um those are very serious. Obviously, something that we want to stay away from for a listener. Um, but it's it's not it's not stopped. They haven't u- reviewed the compliance initiative as uh, reason or incentive to stop enforcement. The enforcement is narrowing down. It's becoming a lot more criminal based and a lot less uh, civil based than it was before.
1: One question I have with that, it just just popped up, was for some of those cases that may have started before the compliance initiative changed, does the focus now change? Like maybe say they were talking civil before where now they're like, nope, we're just going to go straight criminal. You talked about that before on the podcast. So does it affect people that may have gotten letters or visits prior to June of 2023?
0: It can Um, Many of my clients are people who have gotten visits or letters from before the compliance initiative ended. I think it really matters whether or not those people are still selling defeat devices and whether there's evidence that they're engaged in the sale or the installation of those devices. I think for the most part, there has to be a lot of evidence for the Department of Justice to continue to enforce on those people and bring criminal charges against those people. And if people have been doing it for years and years and years, two, three, four, five years, usually they're getting information from other sources and they're establishing a a pattern of behavior and they're building their evidence to bring those criminal charges. They only need one, two, three instances to actually bring criminal charges for violating the Clean Air Act. They like to have a lot more. They like to have a lot more charges than that in order to proceed forward. Because if there's a problem with you know certain of the charges or there's some kind of an issue, they like to have backup.
1: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And when I saw that that uh, the, the change, I, I you know I'll pay attention to what's being said on social media and different media outlets and. I would hear different things. You know, some places would say, hey, nothing's really changing at all with it. And other places or other people would say, well, defeat devices aren't on there. Is it back to the old days? Are things, are they just not focusing on it at all? And the resources aren't there? And it's kind of like, you know, going back in time. So that's why I wanted to start the podcast with asking about that, because I think it bridges a a good gap between our last episode and where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today um, is just understanding what that really means in actuality.
0: Yeah, it it definitely does not mean that things are back to the old days. What it means is that things are just like they were the last four years, except there's a heightened chance that somebody who's engaged in this kind of illegal activity is going to get criminal charges for it. And you know that can mean anything. It can mean that they're looking at prison time, it can mean that they're looking at substantial fines. It can mean that they're looking at felony counts, which of course means that you're losing your right to vote, you're losing your right to possess firearms and use firearms. Um, you know, there's a lot of really serious consequences related to the continued enforcement, and it 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 is not back to the old days. In fact, it might be more serious than it was before. It's just that there are so many fewer violators that the scope of the EPA's investigations and the Department of Justice investigations is narrowed down to get the people who they believe are true criminals at this point, since they've had all this notice and all this time to become compliant, regardless of whether or not they came under enforcement. Everybody knows the parts are illegal. Everybody knows you can't manufacture them. You can't sell them. You can't offer for sale. You can't install. You can't sell a vehicle that has them installed. So everybody knows that you can't do it, and what the what the Department of Justice, the EPA are thinking at this point is, hey, if you're still doing it, you're going to get into real trouble, as opposed to a uh, fine or you know a slap on the wrist.
1: Okay, I think I definitely definitely understand it, and I think that's where it transitions to. We'll probably spend the most of our time today, which is on this huge news that that had come out recently about the EPA and eBay, and it really grabbed my attention. One because of the dollar amount of the fine they're talking about, which I think it was two billion dollars. Um, yeah, and then also to me, eBay is a marketplace like a lot of other ones that are out there. And I've usually when we you know chatted about enforcement and cases, it's an individual or a company. So it really piqued my interest, but I wanted to ask you about the facts of this and how it may be different than anything we've chatted about before.
0: Sure. Um, it is different um, than anything we've chatted about before. The The real part of the case, the real meat and potatoes in the case is not related to the fact that eBay is a marketplace or eBay allowed their users to buy and sell illegal parts. Okay. The real meat and potatoes of the lawsuit by the Department of Justice relates to all of this support and the other aspects of using eBay as a marketplace that eBay received compensation from, which ultimately allowed for the sale of the, they're claiming 300, at least 343,011 aftermarket defeat defeat products designed for use in vehicles manufactured by, you know, blah, blah, blah. So eBay is not necessarily getting in trouble for creating a marketplace and then offering products for sale on their marketplace. What they're getting in trouble for, or the primary reason that they're getting trouble for is all of that support that they give to people who bought and sold the parts, their users, okay? So I'm gonna read for your listeners the um, the basic foundation of the, the Department of Justice's lawsuit related to that support, okay? First of all, eBay, when you list a product, it made eBay, you agree to eBay eBay's terms of service which prohibit illegal activities. Then eBay's algorithm operated in a way to suggest products to parties who had previously bought maybe defeat devices or EGR deletes or straight pipes or whatever, such that those purchasers would then be encouraged to buy more. And in a marketplace, if you think of a marketplace like bazaar or uh, you know a flea market, right, which is what I think eBay's argument is. Uh, that's an important note eBay hasn't filed their answer in this case yet. And so I don't know what their actual defenses are. I'm just assuming uh, as a lawyer, what I know they're gonna be. If you think about a marketplace like a flea market, you walk past all the booths and you see, for example, a booth that has Defeat devices for sale. That person at the booth isn't providing you a link to go to purchase EGR delete devices or other straight pipes or other tuners, which are for sale down at the the next booth or 10 booths away, okay? Department of Justice is arguing that because the algorithm suggested other parts that were similar in nature, eBay was directing the user to buy additional illegal parts beyond what they searched for when they got onto the marketplace. Okay. Then eBay's policies and programs supporting were supporting the sellers by allowing the sellers to tailor the information in their listing so that they were going to pop up with more frequency in a search than they otherwise would have if you were just like a normal marketplace. So again, eBay's algorithms and their options when you set up your account and you make your listing We're giving the seller and eBay, as a result, the the ability to then make other suggestions related to the listing, which would encourage the purchase of additional parts. So that's the third thing. The fourth thing is um, processing payments through eBay itself rather than using a third-party payment processor. So this is where you get into the monetary aspect of it. Because eBay was processing payments through eBay's own system, in fact, encouraging people to use eBay's system, eBay wasn't saying, you're gonna buy this from the seller directly or the manufacturer directly. They're saying, we're gonna take our cut of that money that you're spending on illegal parts. And the Department of Justice is saying, hey, you were encouraging people to use your platform to pay, that means that you were driving direct economic benefit from the sale of the parts when you were essentially using your payment platform or financing the purchase. So that's one of the ways that eBay got money. The fifth portion of the Department of Justice's argument is that eBay was providing communication related to the status of the of the purchase, email updates, other communications related to the sale that were facilitating the transaction. And that last thing is they were maintaining policies that eBay might remove the listing to violate the terms of service during the pendency either of the listing or the sale. So at all times, eBay had the right and they had the ability to take down the listing. And because they were able to take down the listing on the marketplace side, you know, in our hypothetical, kick out the guy who's selling illegal kumquats in the booth, right? That policy, them not following their own terms of service, Creates additional liability for the company. So it's, you know, to summarize the Department of Justice's arguments, yeah, they don't really buy into the idea that this is a marketplace and you can buy and sell whatever it is you want, and that the people who are buying and selling whatever it is they want are the ones who are ultimately responsible for buying and selling illegal parts. Okay. They'd like to think that they can control that. But what this pleading, what this lawsuit tells me is the Department of Justice knows they know they need more. And what they focused on is the infrastructure surrounding the sale of the part where eBay derives direct economic gain and they control the flow of money and they control the flow of the of commerce between the parties, which is really facilitating. The transaction because, but for eBay facilitating that transaction, we don't know, or it's unlikely that the part would ever be sold.
1: Okay. I see how complex it is and how unique it is in in some ways. Like when you were talking about facilitating a transaction, I I immediately started to think of search engines and how you, you search something and it'll show, but to me, it seems like that doesn't necessarily facilitate it as much as you know, I look at a product and then, you know, on a website it suggests other ones or I'm in, agreeing to terms of service. So I think it's such a huge and different sort of case or, or topic that we're covering is, is that one of the main questions that comes up is, was the dollar amount. And I'm sure it translates somewhere to the number of violations that they think could have happened or that you know, the minimum. But at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about how the compliance initiatives have focused more into being criminal how come we're not hearing about that with this case? And I'm thinking of the listener or a shop owner or somebody in the industry that's like, okay, we've heard these um, either guests or topics where this shop owner is going to prison or they're charged with a felony or they get house arrest. Well, if there's 300,000 plus instances of a defeat device, how come we're just talking a dollar amount and not prison time?
0: So you've got a couple of good questions in there and I'll try to tackle them one at a time. The first is the amount of the fine. The second is the... Um, I can't remember what the second one was. Well, uh, I think it had to do with the with it
1: being criminal and, and why it's oh, a dollar the amount. Oh, criminal
0: aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the amount of the fine is important. That's just marketing to clickbait, really. Okay, yeah. Every single Defeat device that was sold carries with it a penalty between forty nine hundred. And fifty five hundred dollars per part. Okay, that's the maximum fine that, or the minimum fine that the that the Department of Justice can seek in a lawsuit. The fine is not going to be that much. It will never be that much. And the reason it will never be that much is number one: I'm sure that eBay is not able to pay it, which you know gets to sort of our ability to pay discussions that we've had over the years. Yeah. The second reason is they would have to go all the way to court and then a judge would have to issue an order finding them liable and then a judge would have to agree with every single one of the 40 the 343,000 parts and then would have to impose the 5,000 or $5,500 fine per part to reach that figure. Okay? it's it's not gonna happen. This lawsuit is about the disagreement between eBay and the federal government about how much of a penalty they should pay. That's what this lawsuit is about. This lawsuit is not about liability. The reason I know it's not a lot about liability is because eBay got a notice from the EPA and the Department of Justice to stop listing these parts. And that was, I think, back in 2020 or 2021. Stop listing them, you're not allowed to sell these anymore. eBay was on notice that they couldn't or shouldn't sell these parts anymore. Then at some point in 2022, they stopped. So eBay has said, we shouldn't do this. Then they created, I've got it right here on my computer, one sec. Then they created a policy, an emissions control defeat device policy, where they said products that bypass, defeat, or render inoperative emission control systems aren't allowed, either on their own or when combined with other hardware or software. See the EPA enforcement alert for more information. And the enforcement alert, alert was in december of 2020 so ebay's known since at least december of 2020 that they can't sell these parts and then they created a policy on their own website that said that they're not going to sell the parts and then in 2022 they stopped selling the parts so liability in this case or the idea that ebay is going to owe some money in my professional opinion is really null and void. I I think it's obvious that eBay is going to owe some money. And I think it's also obvious that eBay knew at least in December of 2020, but at a minimum in, in 2022, that they had to stop selling the parts. So what probably happened, and again, I'm speculating a little bit here, but what probably happened was at least in my experience, the eBay lawyers and the Department of Justice were negotiating and negotiating, and they were trying to come to a penalty that they could all agree on, and they couldn't come to a penalty that they agreed on. And then the DOJ was just like, screw it, we're going to sue you. And they did. And there's other claims in this lawsuit, I think it's important to mention, which is number one, uh ebay distributed and commerce uh products that violated the toxic substances control act they sold unregistered or restricted pesticides and they offered for sale or sold uh pesticides that were additional that were subject to another stop sale use or removal order so the Department of Justice is trying to get an an injunction to stop eBay from selling these parts anymore, but they're not selling them. So, you know, that, that, in my opinion, is, is over. What this lawsuit is about is about the amount of money that eBay is going to pay to the federal government and is also about the terms and conditions of whatever settlement or consent decree that they enter into, how much they are going to, what steps they're gonna take to prevent this from happening again. What is going to happen to eBay if this does happen again? Will the federal government or eBay have certain rights as they pertain to the continued sale of parts? That's what this lawsuit is about. This lawsuit is sort of like a last ditch effort for the DOJ to say, hey, we had enough, we're going to let a judge decide what your penalty is going to be if we don't come to an agreement. And I'd be willing to bet a lot. (laughs) I don't know what it would be, but I'd be willing to bet a lot that this case settles sometime within the next six months to a year.
1: Could this be something that is used to also affect other I don't want to say marketplaces, but other places that sell product. Because that's one of the things that's happened over the years is a lot of these products that we've talked about, they're not for sale on the traditional or the standard websites anymore. Um, A lot of the companies don't offer any of it. So it's kind of trickled down to these other places where they're bought. So does that also say, Hey, you might be smaller. You might not be as big as eBay, but here's what we're doing. And here's the power that we have to be able to say, you can't, the transaction. You can't offer these certain things around it. You need to police your marketplace more than maybe you have in the past.
0: Yeah, I think any marketplace that meets the criteria that we talked about earlier in the podcast as part of this lawsuit is going to come under scrutiny. So say they sold illegal parts on on uh, I don't know what a good one is um say say there's a market craigslist okay say craigslist you sold illegal parts if craigslist is deriving a a profit or monetary benefit from those parts if craigslist is not enforcing its own terms and services if craigslist is not um policing its members moderating reddit is another good example there's a lot of marketplaces out there where people where companies don't get a cut the proceeds. Those are genuine marketplaces. But anytime you have these sort of rules and restrictions in place of a moderated community or a community or a marketplace where people are buying and selling things and it are illegal parts, eventually they're going to get shut down. I mean, Craigslist got shut down for uh you know, casual encounters and things like prostitution back, I don't know how long ago it was, five or 10 years ago, right? So a genuine marketplace where the buyer and the seller are the only ones who are liable is not really something that exists because there's these boundaries within the law that companies are marketplaces have to follow in order to comply with the law. But I don't know of any other marketplace where people are buying and selling. Maybe a forum would be a good example. I don't know what's going on in the forums these days. Back when I got started 15 years ago, as you know, when you were at ATS, Patrick, the forums were a big deal. I don't know how much of a big deal they are anymore. But I suppose... It's possible that you could only have the buyer or the seller liable, but there is going to be liability for marketplaces on some level with the DOJ, no matter what. And that brings me to the previous question you asked about why, why does eBay not get criminal charges for this? So there's a couple of reasons. And again, this is speculation, but you know, based on my professional experience. The first reason is I'm sure eBay has got really good lawyers and they might have started out, they meaning the DOJ might've started out with the idea that you were going to get criminal liability for this and that. And then the really good lawyers went into the meetings that they were having with the, with the EPA and the department of justice. And they were like, well, you, you know, this isn't really a criminal case. This is a civil case and blah, blah, blah. And the EPA and the DOJ knew that they were, they had an uphill battle for criminal liability. And so they decided that they were going to do it on a civil side. Same as EasyLink, right? I don't know exactly what's happening with that lawsuit, or maybe it was EFI Live. I think it's Easy Link, right? They got sued?
1: I believe so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Easy Link's the same type of a situation. They got a civil suit instead of a criminal suit. And the reason they got a criminal suit was because the, the claims weren't as strong on a criminal side as they were for the civil side. Remember for a civil lawsuit, you only have to pr- prove as a, as a plaintiff's attorney, as the DOJ, you only have to prove that something happened by what's called the preponderance of the evidence, as opposed to beyond a reasonable doubt. Pre- preponderance of an evidence it means more likely than not, some attorneys say more than a 50% chance it happened. Um, Really, it's more likely than not is is like the standard that lawyers use. Is it more likely than not that eBay violated its terms of service and facilitated the sale and derived a, a financial benefit from the sale of illegal parts? That's a heck of a lot easier standard to prove then the standard of beyond a reasonable doubt, no reasonable person in their mind would believe that eBay is innocent of these charges. So the the ultimate goal from the EPA and the DOJ always, no matter what, is to stop future sales. We've, We've talked about that many times on the podcast. It's always to stop future sales. And because that's their goal, the DOJ is always looking at the best way to achieve that. With a big company like eBay, the best way to achieve it is to get eBay to agree with the DOJ in a settlement agreement or a consent decree. I guess it would be a settlement uh, settlement agreement since they already filed a federal lawsuit. Get them to agree voluntarily that they're going to stop doing it. That's the easiest way and the best way for the Department of Justice to get somebody, anybody, to stop doing something. So that's the first reason: is is the standard of proof and the nature of a civil lawsuit in comparison to a civil law or a criminal lawsuit or a criminal charge. The second reason is eBay is a massive publicly traded company. Because it is a massive publicly traded company with thousands and thousands of employees what that does is it spreads out deniability and liability and guilt and innocence across a variety of different actors is it ebay's marketing arm that decided this was okay was it their finance arm that was accepting credit card payments that decided this was okay was it their sales department Or the sales department said, oh, well, you know, you can sell these. I think we're fine. Or did it go all the way up the chain? Did it go all the way up the chain to the board of directors, the executive officers of the company, the C-suite officers, the CEOs, CFO, COO? Who was it? Who, at the end of the day, put put their stamp of approval on eBay's decision to let these sales continue? That is really really hard to prove and it's especially really hard to prove with the heightened burden of proof that you have in a criminal case it's a lot easier to prove that Corey willis did a thing right him personally because he's a guy or take your pick of anybody you know that's gotten who's appeared on your broadcast who's gotten a criminal charge travis turner who i've gotten to know. Got to know all about his case after he did the podcast with you. And, you know, we worked and tried to to reduce his jail sentence and it didn't work, unfortunately. But he really got the brunt of the EPA's enforcement in his case. And one of the reasons he got the brunt, the big brunt, was because there was no one else at his company to say did the thing. No one else there, right? I mean, a couple employees, of course, but they weren't really involved. And so Travis, as an example, I mean, he got a criminal charge and the DOJ is proceeding with evidence in a criminal case where, hey, we think that Travis, you can be held responsible criminally for this because we know your name is on emails or whatever the case may be. Ebay, who knows? There's like three. I mean, maybe it was a consulting firm. Maybe they were relying on advice of counsel. We don't know. We don't know. And and the Department of Justice does not bring cases; they can't win. They almost never lose. And I know that all of my, all of my government hating listeners and your government hating listeners. <laughs> They hate to hear that, but it is true. They almost never lose. And if they're bringing charges or they're making you a target of an investigation or they're suing you, there's something there, right? So the reason that eBay, big company, big violator, at least according to the DOJ, isn't getting criminal charges is because it's really hard to demonstrate that an individual or a certain group of individuals did something there. Now, Volkswagen, the original violator, right? Volkswagen got criminal charges and a criminal penalty, and the company had criminal liability, but it was still criminal as to the company. And that company went on probation, not an individual, Now, in, not a domestic US individual. There were people in Germany who got in a lot of trouble. Point being, the bigger the company, the more spread out the liability, the more spread out the responsibility, the more difficult it is to prove that one or two or 10, as opposed to a 1000 people did it. And it's just an easier way to get for the EPA or the DOJ to get that company into compliance without saying, "Hey." you know, we're going to, we're going to go with a criminal case. Civil case is a lot easier.
1: That makes a lot of sense because I think the initial reaction from the stories that you mentioned or other ones um, that people have shared of their cases is we think of them as being really intense, really severe penalties. And then we look at the amount of products that were sold and we think, well, why isn't that criminal? So I think understanding how it's approached and the structures of the companies is important. A question I thought of with this is, it was 300 plus thousand of these instances of these products being sold. I'm sure someone out there is listening and thinking, okay, so they have the information of who sold these. Maybe somebody sold 10 of them, 20 of them, maybe they sold one. Could this progress into something if the EPA or the Department of Justice wanted to, to say, we want all the information from all all the sales?
0: It already has. I I represent multiple clients whose enforcement actions have initiated with documents from eBay. Okay. eBay Uh, has given the Department of Justice through discovery process or a request for information, I don't know, everything they have, I would assume, and everybody's name is on those documents. Not maybe their personal name, but... I represent multiple people that have been charged criminally or sued civilly based on information that the DOJ and the EPA have gotten from eBay.
1: Okay. Uh, that's where in these discussions, a lot of times when I check the comments on YouTube or on some of our posts, I'll see comments that where it doesn't apply to them or it's it, it, it doesn't directly affect the person or the state or the county that they're in. And one of the takeaways I always have from our conversations is it does not matter. So I always like to ask those questions because I want people, I want to help them just to understand the issue or what's going on so that they they see it clearly and they can find the information. Because this is really tough to find. If you search no, it, our yeah. conversations, I can't think of many places where what we discuss is discussed other than you and I.
0: Yeah, I can't either. And it's pretty surprising, honestly, uh, because... There is a tremendous, um, there's a tremendous thirst for knowledge about these cases, right? And, you know, that's why I love to come on the podcast, because I do, I I like to tell people what I know. I freely admit, I make mistakes, I freely admit I don't know everything I'm talking about, but I do know a lot, and I can tell people what I know. So, the, this argument persists about this not being applicable in my state or my county because we don't have smog or we don't have emission controls, blah, blah, blah. It's all complete bullshit. Excuse my French. This is a federal law, the Clean Air Act, that applies to every city and every state and every county in the entire U.S., including Alaska and Hawaii, where I've represented parties in both of those states neither of which have smog requirements. Even if they were, even if there were smog or emissions control limitations in certain areas that didn't fall into the purview of the federal government, the EPA, even if that were true, the EPA is not pursuing end users They're not pursuing people who have a deleted 6-7-2015-6-7 Dodge or a deleted 2019 Duramax. They are pursuing people who buy and sell and manufacture the parts and install, install the parts, okay? And the reason they're pursuing those people is because those are, those violations are going across city lines or across county lines or across state lines by the very nature of the installation being on a a mobile source, right? That mobile source is moving and it's going from county to county and city to city and state to state. You don't have to drive in a federal highway system, even though everyone does, you don't have to drive in a federal highway system to be subject to those rules, regardless of whether there's smog or emissions in your county. So I know I've talked about that on the podcast before multiple times. I will reiterate it again. Whoever thinks that this doesn't apply to them, who lives or sells products into the U.S. is sorely mistaken. I'm
1: glad you answered that question i didn't ask it but somebody had had asked that and they said what if i never drive on a federal highway does it still apply to me so you inadvertently answered one of the questions Why? from the audience <laughs> that's how
0: much they care about deletes
1: i it was just Did one comment you
0: know on a, a federal highway
1: it, it was one comment i think it was just that's more so amazing. curious like does it does it apply but i had well I had a, go ahead
0: every state every state accepts federal assistance for their roadways so even if it's not a federal highway system, they're, they're still in trouble, I think.
1: I had uh, I had two other questions I wanted to ask you from the audience. I, I told them that you were going to be on, and uh, there were a bunch of them, and I, I picked these two. One of them said he's an individual truck owner, and he said, if hypothetically I had a truck that was deleted, and I took it to a Ford, a GM, or a Ram dealership, whatever it was, have you ever heard or seen of an instance where the dealership is saying, "Hey, we've got this truck, it's deleted" and handing that information over either to a state or to the EPA?
0: No, I've never seen that. I I think I I have seen many 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 employees or former employees report their bosses for doing deletes. I have never seen a dealership or a mechanic report a truck owner for operating a delete. That caveat, the caveat would be, if you own a fleet and you're getting 40 trucks that are all deleted, serviced at one place, and you're running a business, it's possible that you could get reported. The other caveat to that is if the EPA sends out a request for information or the Department of Justice sends out a subpoena, you are generally required to list all of the vehicles you worked on and whether or not they had emission control. So I guess theoretically, the DOJ or the EPA could get a hold of an end user's information that way from a mechanic or a dealer. Are they going to do anything about it? No, you're much more likely to get into trouble with a local law enforcement group, uh, state or city law enforcement, like the sheriff's department or a local uh, police department for operating a vehicle that is polluting in excess or something like that. But no, generally speaking, dealerships are not ratting out their customers. That's not good for business. I don't think.
1: (laughs) The, uh, the last question I had, I'm going to change it a little bit because you answered. I I think the question is, he said uh, he owns an older diesel. I don't know what kind, but it's pre DPF. We'll just say it's pre 2007 and a half. And he wanted to have me ask you, are, does he need to be concerned about his truck or are there new enforcement things that could take place with the older trucks? Now I know you mentioned it with the individual, which I think is what he wanted to know, but I want to change that to the manufacturer, the shop level, that sort of way and ask, is that under the scrutiny as the DPF trucks are?
0: Yeah. So I've had a couple EPA uh, enforcement, personnel, either engineers or lawyers, who have been gung-ho about tuning for pre-emission vehicles. Dodge 5.9s, 12 valves, 24 valves, um, 7.3s, pre-DPF, pre-EGR, some of them. I've had uh some some EPA personnel that were really gung-ho about those and the reason was because I mean if you tune them a certain way it does affect emissions and it does increase NOx and it does increase particulate which is all illegal but I have not to date seen any EPA enforcement or any consent decree that includes a pre-emission truck, which could, um, a pre-emission truck that's that's got excess particulate or NOx through tuning. Um, The reason is because I and this is my interpretation of the conversations that I've had, but the gap between the stock tune on a pre-emissions vehicle and a race tune on a pre-emissions vehicle is not creating a substantial amount, it is much emissions pollution than the gap between an emissions vehicle and a deleted vehicle. If that makes sense. yeah, it's also a lot easier to prove. If you're the de- remember we talked about the DOJ being interested in easy cases to prove yeah. and easy cases to settle, It's hard to prove that so and so's seven three tune, the you know nightmare, you know, black cloud tune produces a demonstrable amount more NOx in particulate. Of course it does, but that much more than the than than a stock tune does. It is not hard to prove that a deleted vehicle produces more emission. And the reason is because the nature of deleting a vehicle, of removing the emissions, is itself the violation. It's not the it's not the tune to make it dirtier or cleaner or whatever. It is the nature, the actual nature of the violation is to remove the emissions. That, that makes sense.
1: sense. Yeah, it does. Plus think of those older trucks, they're They're not being made anymore. They're dwindling. I don't know how many hit the salvage yard per year get wrecked. It's just a a smaller group versus 16 to 17 years of DPF EGR equipped trucks. And that's not stopping. So that makes complete sense.
0: On uh, my settlements that I do with the EPA that involve what's called a SEP, a um, supplemental emission project. I don't even know what the, I'm embarrassed to admit, I don't remember the acronym. A SEP is a is a program that you can engage in to to do something besides pay like a straight monetary penalty. And the one that the that the EPA loves is replacing school buses. So some of my clients will sign a SEP, and they will promise to buy two school buses or three school buses for a local school district in their area, and. The school buses are cleaner than the ones that are there, which they can't take off the road, right? Unless there's a replacement. So they'll promise to buy those and then their their monetary penalty actually goes up as far as money out the door, but they at least get to buy a bus as opposed to to giving the federal government all your money, right? One of the requirements in those SEPs is that the vehicle that you're replacing be destroyed and destroyed means literally melting down the motor, the block or drilling a hole through the block. Wow! So no one can use it again. And the reason that that obviously is coming up is in, in our conversation is because those numbers of, of pre-emission diesels are dwindling. I don't know how fast they are, but they're dwindling and the pre-emission vehicles are like shooting up in value because nobody wants the emission stuff on their their vehicle and it's not illegal to drive. So they're gonna be in high demand from now until the last one craps out on the side of the road, whenever that might be, but Yeah. I mean, I do not see any evidence of the EPA beginning to initiate any individual enforcements. I will say, I see a lot of evidence that disgruntled employees are reporting their employers for deleting. And most of the time that doesn't go anywhere, but sometimes it does. So, you know, that's something to be worried about. You don't have to worry about taking your, you know, 97, 98, 12, (laughs) valve <laughs> but is it is a 97 still 12 valve i can't yep. remember um yeah in, into uh into the dodge dealership to get it worked on you should be okay
1: well i appreciate you chatting with us today and <clears throat> answering the, the the listener questions but then also yeah. taking a dive into the epa case and then also the compliance initiatives and how those changes a lot of clarity we got i always enjoy chatting with you the knowledge that comes from it and uh yeah i appreciate your time today
0: yeah, I'm happy to come on anytime um, and your listeners, you know, uh, I wish them the best of luck, but it's it's a changing, it's an ever-changing landscape. So don't think that just because the compliance initiative is gone that you have a free reign to do whatever you want because it's like much more the opposite of that than than what we're talking about.
1: Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and head on over to kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code diesel2023 for 20% off site-wide. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. So if you're in the market for a knife or hunting, fishing, EDC, something around the job site, they've definitely got you covered with a whole bunch of new releases in 2023. So definitely make sure head on over, check out their website, and use code diesel2023 for 20% off your order. Also want to give a shout-out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowen of 23 Diesel. Um, J. Cole, John, all of our other Patreon supporters, all of you who subscribe on YouTube and podcast apps, follow us on social media. We appreciate your support here near Seven of the Diesel Podcast and look forward to bringing you more of the content that you want to hear in 2023. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.